when we look at the gospel and we think about Christmas, it's really a t- it's a really a time of a paradox, isn't it? I mean, we look into the world and we see just a paradox. And uh, we want to welcome our friend from Baltimore, by the way. He just came, showed up this morning, right? And I can't pronounce your name. Chinadu. Okay. And where are you from? Nigeria. Nigeria. Okay. Welcome. And how long are you in town for? Thirteen days. Okay. Well, thanks for coming this morning. He knows my brother, so I, I don't know him. I didn't know he was coming, but I'm so glad he came. When we think of Christmas, it's a time of paradoxes. This morning, I went to buy some water for for everybody because we didn't have any water here, and I went into Walmart. What a paradox! <laughs> it's like it's Christmas Eve, and I walked in there, and I might have thought it was like, you know, <clears throat> the mad rush before. Uh, you know, a, a, a uh, impending cataclysmic event. You know, people's attitudes. And I walked down the I walked down the aisle, and some lady was coming at me, and she just gave me this look, like, like I'm the most unhappy person on the planet, and you better get out of my way because I'm on a mission. You know, and I started thinking about the mission of Christ. And you know, when when you meet somebody that's on a mission, they're kind of like. They're not really, they don't really have time to talk to you very much. You're like, okay, great. I acknowledge your presence here, but I don't have time to talk to you because I have something very important to do. And I'm moving forward. And that is what we interpret as mission to be, the mission of God or the mission of Christ, the mission of the Christian to share the gospel this Christmas season. But when we think about Christ and his mission, his mission was not like that kind of a mission where You see him and then you don't see him because he's too busy. Sometimes people say to me as a pastor, I know you're very busy and you don't have a lot of time. And I always respond to that like this. I am busy doing this with you, with people. This is what I spend my time doing. I'm not too busy doing other things because the mission of God, the mission of Christ is people. And it's not necessarily projects or events. And so when we look at the, when we look at the, season that we are in, it's in such a time of paradox. We see in Luke chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, that while they were there, and you know, Christmas time, the first Christmas was just a very awkward time. It seemed to be very disorganized. It seemed to be a time of real paradoxes. God coming into the world with hundreds and hundreds and millennia of preparation and, and um, marketing, if we could use that word, and God getting the message into the people's hand. He even designated an entire nation to prepare the world for the coming of Christ. And yet when Jesus is born, there's no one there. There's no one there at the manger. And that for me is such a paradox because everybody is so busy at this Christmas morning, the first Christmas morning, that, they, that they're not even there. And God has to go out, send his angels, okay, no one's going to show up. Just go out there to some shepherds that are nearby and speak to them and have them come. And they come, and then we see later on the story of Christmas. And yet, the paradox of Christmas is this. And, you know, I, I kind of like to think of myself as a, as a spiritual realist, a Christian realist, not a person that really enjoys idealism or the ideal because that creates stress or pressure. 
But the question is, is this, is why are we, why shouldn't we be happy? Or why are people not as happy as we think that they should be during Christmas? Or why are we singing these hymns, these happy, joyful hymns, and happy, the singing that song, we were singing that song this morning, Happy Morning, whereas maybe some of us did not have such a happy morning, and we have not really had a happy week, and maybe it's been a very unhappy month for us, and maybe it's been really a lot going on. And I just want to just counsel us, counsel you, we are told that Christmas for Christians really has to be the happiest time of the year, an opportunity to be joyful and grateful with family, friends, and all of our coworkers. Yet according to the National Institute of Health, and this, this, this always shocks me, Christmas is the time of year that people experience a high incidence of depression and suicide. Uh, in, the real, in the world of real, realism, or the reality world, how do we say that? The world of realtors or real estate. There we go. Thank you. I heard that from someone that during the time, the, the holiday season is when uh, many homes go up for sale because families are splitting up. This is sad. This is, ha- this, is unha- this is unfortunate. This is a paradox. Hospitals and police uh, report high in- incidences of violence, and psychiatrists, psychologists, and other mental health professionals report a significant increase in patients complaining about pain. Uh, Danielle told us Wednesday night, she's a pharmacist, and uh, there's a lot of people, by the way, on the road today want to keep them in prayer. But Danielle was telling us, as a pharmacist at Walgreens, she said that uh, the prescriptions for pain meds and opioids goes through the roof around this time of year. It's unbelievable. People are dealing with some very deep, deep pain during this time, and it's quite a time of, of an amazing time of paradox. And what is the cause of this, and why... And I just wanted to share with you two things this morning. One is very practical, and that's this, this point here. And the second thing is I just want to talk about Christmas is really real, and it's not just a spirit like Eduardo was talking about. I was thinking this morning as we were coming in here, and then last night we were at a store just picking up some last-minute gifts. And, you know, there is a spirit of Christmas, but it's not the spirit that we would that we would recognize as the Spirit of God. There is a Spirit of Christmas that is not necessarily the Spirit of God. Christmas is not about a spirit, because that's Gnosticism. That, is the, that borderlines uh, the, the mystical sense of a spirit that's undefined, that we pin on a Christmas tree, or we pin on a, an event, or we pin on something else. Christmas is a person. And that's the second point I want to talk about this morning, that Christmas is about a person and not a spirit. And so I think that there's, a, there's this projection of idealistic happiness and romance during Christmas. You know, on TV, you can see that, you know, the Hallmark Channel, many of these channels were really, pro, um, you know, they're really propagating this picture of romance. And this is the best time of the year to fall in love. And, and this always kind of ends, you know, if you've ever seen those, it always ends with, so it begins like this, two people that are in trouble, my wife's going to kill me now. But two people, in, two, two people in trouble. Then you have, then they, they fall in love with each other. Then there's some big misunderstanding, and they fall apart. And then there's just some magical thing that happens. And at the end, they kiss and they get married. And life is heavily, happily ever happens heavily, happily ever after, right? <laughs> Amen. Okay. 
And it can be that way. And it can be that way. But what happens is, is that when, when we live in a world of paradoxes, such as we live now with a idealistic sense of Christmas, this idea of Christmas is projected in some way that it's an idealistic sense that every day our experience falls short of that. And so what happens is the distance between the ideal of what we think it should be or what is projected to us on the media or in the culture that we live in, that experience, that idealistic experience, does not match what we're experiencing today. And that idealistic sense of what the world says Christmas should be or the happiness of the family should be does not match our present experience because the truth is is that the more that we portray and project idealistic principles or idealistic things, the more that we're going to fall short in reality. And what is that called? It's called frustration. Frustration is when I have an ideal of the way things should be in my family, in my marriage, in my church, in my personal life, at my job, versus what I'm experiencing today. Paul talks about that in his private life, in his personal life, in Romans chapter 7. Idealism versus experience. And so what do we do? Do we just throw out the experience? We say this Christianity does not work anyway, and so we just throw that away? No. Because there, Jesus came into the scene to heal a paradox. And I just want to talk about that just a little bit about, about that. But first of all, some practical things. Why do, why do we... Why do, we, why do we struggle with this frustration, not only during Christmas time, but any time? There's actually a disorder. I love the government because the government, whenever there's a disorder and there's no definite, people do not re- resort or default to the biblical definition of what that, how to be healed in that, in that crisis or that disorder, the government will come in, and I'm not anti-government, please don't, you know, don't think I'm a radical here. The government will come in and they will call their, they will, dis, they will describe it as a disorder. That's a disorder. And then they will prescribe something to it. And that's the world's answer to, to problems. That every social problem, either we throw money at it, we throw programs at it, or we throw drugs at it. And that is not the answer to the paradox that we live in today. The NIH, National Institute of Health, according to the second time today, actually has a disorder. And they call it this. The seasonal affective disorder. Sad. <laughs> the seasonal disaffective order. The, the seasonal affective disorder, which means basically that people, because of the lack of sunlight, which Texas has a lot of, a lot of sun at Christmas time, I like that, and the, the pressure that people live under causes a disorder of sadness. But I think that there are really six reasons why now, I'm not saying that, that is the right, that's not the right diagnosis of it. The world will try to diagnose the world's society's problems, but with no, with no divine input, with no divine understanding, with no divine mindset about God's answer. And there are six main reasons why, and I just want to read them really quick, and this is the practical part. Why do people experience this frustration? And I, I, I want to kind of give this to you so that this will help us during our holiday so that we are not falling prey to frustration. Number one, unrealistic expectations from family or for family in a perfect social event. Okay? Frustration can come when there are uh, expectations that you and I have of family members or for family members. That creates stress. Jesus Christ did not come into this world 
with expectations from you and I. He came into this world to give. Any expectation that we have on people's fallen flesh will always result in frustration and disappointment. Anytime that I put my trust or my expectation in people, I'm going to be, I'm going to be ultimately frustrated and disappointed. We need to trust God for people. Every one of us in this room have situations in our family, every one of us, everyone in this, in this room, and it's listening to this, this message, has issues in their family that they need to trust God for. And that's Psalm 62, verses 5 and 6. This Christmas season, we need to trust God for people. There are people. And you know what? Christmas time is a time when whatever's in a person's soul is going to come out because of pressure and just because of the season. All's going to come out. And you know what? We've got to trust God for people. We just got to trust God for people because there's nothing that we can do necessarily except give people God. And then when we, when we trust God for people, like the psalmist, we're not going to be moved by people. We're not going to be moved by people because people cannot fulfill our needs ultimately, right? People cannot fill my needs. Your needs that you have in your soul, my needs in my soul cannot be met by another person. And that's where relationship con- uh, conflicts begin is when I put the burden on another person to meet my needs socially, intellectually, and, and ultimately spiritual, spiritually. A married couple or a friendship or any kind of relationship that we have in our family needs to be met at the cross, that I need to go to the cross, that other person needs to go to the cross. And we both understand that at the cross, that's where our needs are met, that they're crucified with Christ, I'm crucified with Christ. And guess what? <laughs> we will ultimately disappoint people no matter how amazing we think we are. <laughs> and praise the Lord that we don't have to live in performance. That's the grace life. That's the grace life. Number two, relationship conf- or relational conflicts. People report that they dread Christmas because of the expectations for social gatherings with family, friends, and acquaintances that they'd rather not spend time with. You know, we're going to have fr- family and friends come over. How many of you are going to have family events? I know uh, my, wa- my wife and I are going to be by ourselves. Christmas morning, and then later on, we're going to get together with people. But we're all going to have family events, and it could be that there are people that maybe have a conflict with you or that you have with them. Or maybe there is something that is unresolved there. This is what we have to do. First of all, build yourself up in who you are in Christ before you go to that event. Because, you know, how many of you have, been to, how many of you have already been to some Christmas parties and Christmas events already? Okay. How many of you have experienced during that party or that event a broken person? Someone that's broken. Okay. I have last night. I mean, you know, all of us. We, we meet people that are broken. Um, son, tonight, we're going to, my wife and I, what we do every, every Christmas Eve is we make this Polish holiday bread. And we go to our neighbors and we give them a fresh baked loaf of this holiday bread and we just share the gospel with them. We're going to do it tonight by the grace of God. It's going to be five people on our cul-de-sac. And we meet a lot of broken people. People are broken. And that's the world that we live in. We need to first build ourselves up in who we are in Christ before we answer that text message or before we open that door. We need to build ourselves up in who we are in Christ because, because if we do not, then, then we give somebody something that is not Christ. We need to take our flesh and their flesh to the cross. Number three, here's another reason why we experience this frustration where our experience is not meeting our ideal This is number three, excessive self-reflection. These are big words, meaning that I'm thinking about myself too much. 
Christmas time is a time where I start looking at my family. And, you know, I did it. I caught myself this week, you know, like, okay, my family's on the East Coast, <laughs> you know, and I'm here. And my family's getting all together and they're going to have a great time. And guess what? I'm not going to be there. And that's going to be like, wow, you know. And so that creates some kind of, you know, it kind of creates some interesting impulses, doesn't it? Like maybe I should do something or maybe I should be, I should overcompensate my absence by doing something over the top for them, you know. And I caught myself thinking that way. And that's an ideal. And my experience, I'm not, my experience is I'm not on the East Coast. (laughs) I'm here in Texas. And my ideal would be is there with them but I'm not, I'm here. And so that can create, that vacuum can create some frustration. And that vacuum needs to be filled with God's thoughts. And we either fill ourselves with God's thoughts or we're going to fill ourselves with our own thoughts. And that's excessive self-reflection, meaning we're thinking too much about ourselves. We're thinking about too much about ourselves. And this creates, this creates frustration. We need to build ourselves up in the finished work and who we are in Christ. See, it keeps going back it keeps going back to baby Jesus. It keeps going back to the miracle child that was born on Christmas morning. Build yourself up in who you are. And I love Romans chapter 5. Christmas, this is such a Christmas verse. Why we were yet sinners, why we were without strength, and why we were yet enemies of God. Yes, enemies. I mean, enemy means not just I don't like that person, but if that person came into the room, I would probably try to take their life. That, that's like... That is the anger and the hatred that the flesh has for God. And yet, in that state, Christ died for us. Christ came for us. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel. And every morning, every day, we need to build ourselves up in that gospel. Number five, many people feel very lonely at Christmas because they have suffered the loss of loved ones or their jobs. You know, there are people that are facing this Christmas minus a family member because maybe somebody passed away or maybe somebody's not in their life anymore. Maybe this Christmas we're facing this Christmas in the absence of people that we love. And they, we are going to, we're going to be tempted to experience loneliness in such a festive environment. How do we deal with that? You know how we do one way how we deal with it? It's just we reach out to somebody who's in a lot of need. And we just say, you know something? God loves you. Jesus loves you. And just share this simple gospel message with them minister to them because when we give to people it's we are put in a place where it forces us to to trust god and god can speak through us instead of living in loneliness and self-pity this christmas season reach out to someone make a phone call that you with to someone that you have not talked to for a while mend a relationship initiate forgiveness reach out to someone and that will heal us from our loneliness number six um and i think what causes frustration is the excessive commercialization of Christmas, where there's the focus on gifts. You know, I love gifts. Christmas is fun. I like Christmas trees. I, you know, I don't get into, you know, I know there's all that history about it, but, uh, and people talk to me about it sometimes. And you know something, I think that, I think that uh, because I did not grow up in the Middle East and in Lebanon, where the whole pine tree worship religion happened, I grew up in America, and I understand the place of the Christmas tree. Okay, it's a, it's a decoration. It's not the same. And you notice it's not in the chapel. And somebody may say, well, you know, that's your weird thing about Christmas trees. I, I have nothing against Christmas trees, okay? But in the chapel, there's the Bible, there's the pulpit, and there's people. And the Christmas tree's out there. I love Christmas trees. We're gonna have, we have one in our house. 
But you know something? The excessive commercialization of Christmas creates an emphasis on gifts. And, you know, because the world system and the devil and people's flesh are constantly trying to redefine spiritual meaning in our lives. You and I, our fight this Christmas, if I can say it like this, is to, is to continually redefine and, and communicate the true meaning of Christmas to people, to people in our family and people in our, in our circles, where we are continually redefining and clarifying the gospel of, of Christmas, that Jesus came to us when we had no gifts to give God. Actually, God didn't even want our gifts, and if we tried to give God any gifts, it would result in us owing something to God. That was what Paul said to the Galatians. So... Here's the second point I want to say this morning, and this is the point where, where I want to talk about some beautiful meaning in the, in the holiday of Christmas. There's much talk about this spirit, but Christmas is a person, a physical living person, meaning that God came in the flesh, okay? And you know, one of the, one of the strategies of of deception is to repeat something true so many times that we become familiar with it and we lose the impact of how true it is. Does that make sense? For some, for, you know, like when you go to a store and you hear these incredible, sometimes you hear these incredible hymns. I mean, these incredible Christmas songs with the, with, you know, word in flesh came in flesh. It's like, this is the theology of incarnation. This is the most, Christmas is theologically the most important like one of the most amazing times of the year. And people hear this and they're not even saved and they're hearing this and they're hearing this and it no longer has any impact on their life anymore because they're so familiar with it. I think that when we look at Christmas, it's very important to sit down and just to think with God and just have a quiet moment where we meditate and we just think about, okay, what is God doing this Christmas? And this is the second point I want to make. God became meek to address and heal our brokenness and weakness. And I want to just talk about meekness and weakness just for a moment before we close. God didn't show up on the scene as a tyrant or a power broker ordering everyone around on earth and in Israel. God didn't just show up and say, okay, you know, I'm on the scene now. You guys could not handle this over many millennia. And now this is what I want you to do. You do this, you do that, and starting ordering a people around. And that would be what a power broker would do. The first Christmas was quite stressful, and actually it was quite anticlimactic at first. Think of it. All the promises of God, all the prophecies, Micah 5 verse 2, and many other prophecies, hundreds of years and millennia of, of prophecy, and here is Christ Jesus being born and you know what? There's no room at the hotel. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gone on a trip and there's no room in the hotel. Anybody ever experienced that? And you just kind of sit in your car. You're thinking, like, where are we going to sleep? Where are we going to go? I know the Lions have a story about that. You know, where are we going to sleep? You ever feel that way? Like, and it causes a real sense of interesting loneliness. The couple, Joseph and Mary, were on the run. Think of this. They're a couple on the run. They were refugees politically and religiously. They had really no money, and they're on the run. And the whole scene of their family was a bit scandalous. Here is a woman, Mary, that's not even married legally, 
and she's pregnant. And here's Joseph kind of going along with the program. Maybe we don't know how much he understood. We, we trust that he understood, but, but we see more about Mary's understanding spiritually of what was going on than Joseph's. And so Joseph is kind of an interesting character in the New Testament because we don't really know where he's at. And yet he's going along with what God is telling him to do. God is speaking to him in a dream, and he obeys him by faith. And so the whole scene of the first Christmas is a bit paradoxical in, 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 in every sense of the word. Here is Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and they're on the run. And so this is such a picture of meekness. And I just want to clarify meekness. Let's define meekness. What does meekness mean? Meekness doesn't mean weakness. To be meek does not mean to be weak. And those are two very different words. Because when you and I are weak, we resort to our own carnal weapons. Don't we? When we live in our own personal weakness, and we don't know how to deal with vulnerability, and we don't know how to deal with being on the defense, we will, re- we will resort to our carnal weapons. Okay? Tomorrow or Christmas Day dinner, you know, when that happens, and we are, we are tempted to resort to our carnal weapons uh, remember this. Weakness means that I am either withdrawing because I can't deal with this situation. I'm just going to withdraw into my safe corner or I'm going to lash out because in both instances, I'm trusting my own power. I'm trusting my own wisdom. I'm trusting my own strength. Does that make sense? When we are living, when we sense weakness at that moment, we either, we either lash out or we actually withdraw. But meekness means this. Meekness is, meekness means this. It means that um, the word actually meekness actually means power over someone's strength and over will and over justice. Meekness means, meekness for Christ meant he was committing his cause to God. Meekness means this, is that I have the power to do something, but because of a higher reason, because of a bigger purpose because of a cross, because of God, I'm not going to execute my own power and my own strength. Does that make sense? It's like you ever play a game and you have the power to win. Usually parents are like this with their kids, but you don't win on purpose because you want your kid to win. That's kind of a sense of meekness in one sense. Like like you have the power to win, but you don't. And we allow someone else to win. And this is meekness. Meekness does not mean that a person is struggling in their self-image or who they are in Christ. Weakness, weakness is that moment where we find ourselves unable in our own energy to resolve a situation. Here is Israel. Here is the earth. Here is the whole world. And they are unable from millennia to resolve their issue with sin and weakness. God did not come in power in one sense, but he came in meekness. God didn't come in weakness, he came in in meekness. God could have come in like the boss and run everything, order everyone around, and uh, really make order by, by just saying words. God came in and for 30 years lived among people, not telling people what to do. This was amazing. His life spoke volumes to people. God in his meekness coming in. You know what this means? It just means that God had the power to just say something like he created creation and resolve the whole thing. 
but he didn't do it that way. He sent himself into the picture, and he rewrote the story. He wrote us into, he wrote his son into the story. This is meekness. This is the most amazing thing about the incarnation, that God came in the likeness of sinful flesh. You know, God came in in the likeness of sinful flesh. Just the fact that he was born into this world, even though he had no old sin nature, he became guilty by association. God became guilty, or Jesus became guilty by associating. He associated with publicans and sinners. He associated with people that were fallen. He associated with this world. He was not afraid to call us brothers. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, I love these verses. It says, it says, and I think it's there. If I'm not, please correct me. But I think it says this, that the publicans and the sinners came and, came and heard him gladly. It's amazing, isn't it? This was an amazing Savior. This is an amazing, this is an amazing Savior. It was so amazing that God was so great that what he did in meekness, not only did he have to humble himself to stoop down to look at us, the Bible says, it required infinite humility for him to humble himself and to come in the form of a man. <clears throat> he, became ma- he became man and made himself lower than the angels, submitted himself. He submitted himself to a human body. He submitted himself to a human body. And guess what? The devil misunderstood how far God would go to save mankind. I think that pride, the pride of the devil, and I've mentioned this before, the pride of the devil blinds him to the incredible work of humility and meekness. When you and I are functioning in humility and meekness, we are not on the devil's radar. He can't see us. We're not, we, he's looking at his radar, the flesh radar, and he doesn't see the person walking in faith, walking in grace, walking in humility, walking in meekness. Why? Because the flesh is at the cross. The, the flesh is at the cross, and the devil cannot pinpoint, cannot triangulate that person. The devil underestimated how far God would go. The devil did not even understand who God was. That he, the devil was, he was Lucifer, and he was, he was leading the worship of all the angels, and he was so beautiful, and he was just so full of, he was, the, he was, he was like the, he was like the, like he was so amazing, and, and he got caught up in his own beauty, and what happened was is that he never, ever understood who God was. And this is one of the paradoxes of heaven, is that here is an angel, a beautiful, most amazing angel, and he's facing God face-to-face at the throne for an eternity past since the angels were created, and yet he doesn't even know God in his humility. He doesn't even know who God is. Isn't that amazing? That when God said, you know what, I'm going to send my son in the form of a man, and I'm going to redeem mankind, Lucifer, like, didn't even get it, and Satan didn't even get it. Satan didn't even get it. He, he didn't even understand. He said, when Jesus was born in the major, Jesus, uh, the devil didn't know where he was. Because <laughs> you cannot locate, I mean, he could read the Bible, he knew where it was, but the devil did not know exactly like, okay, because of the humility of God, the devil could not pinpoint, like Herod's like, where is this Jesus? You know, where is this Jesus that we can find him? Because humility, because pride can never find out, it can never understand humility, and it can't understand meekness. And this is the most amazing thing about the aspect of God because, because the devil never, he under, underestimated the grace and the mercy of God. I want to finish with this story, and I, I, I think every Christmas I read this, and I was just reading this again today, and I thought, okay, I'm going to read this again. 
So you may have heard this last Christmas, but I want to read it again because I think it is such a beautiful picture of the incarnation of Christ and him coming and dwelling among us. Father Damien was a Belgian priest in the 1800s who went to a village on the island of Molokai in Hawaii, a village that had been quarantined as a leper colony. For 16 years, Father Damien lived with these people that no one else wanted to have anything to do with. He learned their language, he served them, he built homes for them, he organized schools and choirs. Rather than being careful to keep his distance from the lepers, as most would have done, he got right up next to them, he bandaged their wounds, he ate with his patients, sometimes out of the same dish. He touched people that others considered untouchable. Gradually, throughout the course of his years, serving there, there was a village transformed. Despair was replaced with hope, yet for years he was still different in one very important point. They were lepers, and he was not. That would be great, like, just to end the story there, right there, wouldn't it? be like, wow, you know, what a great guy, you know, he's just sacrificing his time and his energy to serve these people, and there's a transformed village. But the story does not end there, and nor does the Christmas story end there. Then one day, he stood up before his congregation, and he began his sermon with two words, we lepers. For he had contracted leprosy while living among the people. From that moment on, people in that village saw this servant in a whole different light. Now he wasn't just living among them. He wasn't just serving them or preaching to them. He had actually become one of them. Not only would he share their life, but he would also die as they died. So on this Christmas, we celebrate the day that God came to our village. He didn't just come to help us or to throw gifts at us. He came and became his, he began his message. Jesus, when he came to that manger he begins his message with this we lepers we sinners he had become one of us he took on our sin and so here's the challenge guys and we'll close with this this christmas if you haven't been already you and i are going to be challenged to exercise christ like meekness when we feel weak so that the true gospel of christmas shines out of us and we see that true gospel of Christmas defined in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We're going to be called on to exercise meekness when we get exercise strength and power in the flesh. And when we exercise meekness, we're not exercising that power that we have the ability and the right to exercise we're exercising a moment where we decrease because he's increasing in our life and we reveal Christ to people. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for the meekness of Christ, the meekness of God, the incredible strategy of God who came into this world as a meek and as a humble child. We thank you, God, that you did not come into this world and boss everyone around to throw at people a new law or a new system or a new program, but you came in and you lived as one of us. And so, God, for us, that is healing from the frustration index. There's an ideal, and guess what? We don't need to fill that ideal with frustration or effort. We can fill that void and that that frustration that's caused by a Savior who completed the work 
who finished the work, who came in meekness. God didn't come in power in the sense of fleshly power, but he came in meekness, and that's exactly what we needed because we as broken people in a broken country of Israel, in a broken world, God needed to come in. They needed a savior that was a meek savior and not someone that was living in the energy of of their own power. And this Christmas, God, we want to exalt Christ. There's moments when we want to exercise ourselves in our own energy, in our own flesh, carnal weapons, where we want to step back. We want to go to the cross. We want to build ourselves up in who we are in Christ, in the love of God, and we just want to reveal Christ to people. And Lord, we just pray this morning, if there's someone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, then do that this morning. Let Jesus be born into the manger of your heart. Let Jesus come into your life and change everything. Let him speak. Let him transform. And let him give you a vision and a new purpose.